If you will turn to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. You ever, I, I feel like this, on Friday I had the opportunity to um, fly to Charleston, uh, flew up to Charleston Friday to Jim Hampton. He's been, a, he was a member of this church for a long time, Jim and Don Hampton, Cole, Riley, and Cade. Uh, Jim uh, was in the Air Force for 30 years. He was in the reserves for the last 18, and he retired on Saturday. And so I had the, uh, I flew up there just to show my support and, and love for the Hamptons. But as I was sitting there in the ceremony, you ever been in that situation where you realize somebody was pretty cool, but maybe you didn't realize how cool they were or how great they were? I mean, Jim, uh, Nathan Day, actually, we didn't plan this, but Nathan Day was on his way to Pittsburgh, and it just happened that he could get up there, so he went too, and we hung out with Jim on Saturday, and he took us all over the base, and uh, Jim, it, it was just, you're walking around with a guy, and every single person that walked by is saluting him, is, is honoring him. Jim was the highest ranking, he was a chief master sergeant, he was the highest ranking position in the reserves he, he achieved that very early on um, he there were at this ceremony there were people from the pentagon there were generals people came in from all over to to be a part of this service the 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 gentleman colonel wood who spoke shared that Point zero, this is start at, the z, start at the decimal and moved that way, getting smaller for all you mathematicians. Point zero, 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 one, four percent of all military personnel will achieve what Jim Hampton achieved. Yeah, I, I just know the dude is Jim Hampton. I, I felt, I was embarrassed, you know, like to me he's Jim, you know, but... He, he's the, he was the top dog. I mean, they listed his accolades, and it just went on and on and, and on. And, and I think sometimes we can become so familiar with something or someone that we can lose the sense and the awe regarding that person, but, but also maybe what we're doing. And I think that might be the case with regards to the Lord's Supper at times. That, that we forget the picture, maybe we forget the price, the, the weight of the price. You know, I was sitting there with, with men and, and women that in March, his team, they're called the Red Horse. They all wear these uh, special hats. They get to wear their own hat and... Uh, it's a very, it's a very uh, select, unique team that uh, I did not realize how dangerous a job Jim Hampton had. I mean, they fly into places where you don't want to be, and they set stuff up. Um, they go in before the Navy SEALs go in and set stuff up. And, um, you know, I was looking around at a bunch of, uh, it was humbling because I was looking around to my left and my right, 
at a bunch of men and women a lot younger than me and in March they're getting on a plane and they're going back over to fight so that you and I don't have to the Guthrie's every day they have a son Taylor who keeps watch that's the Verizon and maybe an amber alert but that's sometimes that's an amber alert every day Taylor is one of millions that keep watch Romans 13 Romans 13 talks about there is no authority except which that God has established they they stand their post every day so that we can just do whatever we do with no thought and I think sometimes that is how we are to the Lord's Supper that 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 maybe we pass over forgiveness maybe we pass over some elements that are picture here in the Lord's Supper and because we focus on some other elements that maybe are a little more fun to think about not the fact that there are men and women every day that risk their lives I, I and, and I'm not saying this it, it was just a burden to me every single I try to do this on a regular basis I would encourage you to as well but every single person I, that I met I tried to shake their hand and I tried to say thank you you know to remember Every day, every day when you and I wake up, there were men and women who did not sleep last night so that you and I could wake up in freedom. And, and even as we come to the Lord's Supper, you know, we talk about freedom and forgiveness and love, and we love to sing about it, but if we're not careful, there, we forget the fact that there was a Son, there was a Savior, there was God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ who bore the wrath of God. So that you and I could be forgiven. Just like these men and women in March are going to get on a plane. And they're going to go bear wrath in a sense so that you and I don't have to. And we're in this series that we're looking at foundations. We're talking about foundations. I want to give us an accurate picture because Saturday was, was, it was that was a sobering day for me. To, to every single one, they have moms and dads. The, these were 20-somethings, 20s, 30s, younger than me. You want to feel, you start feeling old when you start looking around and these kids are, and there's not a, they were, you know, as I told them, thank you, they were like, hey, it's an honor. It's an honor. It's our privilege. They're looking forward to it. But, but not only is that a big deal, what we're doing today is a big deal. And, I, and I'm not sure that we fully understand the gravity and the weight of, of the Lord's Supper, and partially this, partially this, because I'm not sure we understand fully our, the, the weight and the depth of our own sin. First of all, I don't know that we fully understand just how sinful we are. That, that's kind of how sinful we are, that our sin numbs us to our own sin. But, but I'm not sure we understand how intensely God hates sin either. He hates it. To, to the point that he would crucify his own son. God's hatred towards sin, his wrath, that's what we're, the wrath due sin. The ultimate picture is the cross. If you want to know how badly God hates sin, look to the cross, even to the point where he was willing to 
crucify his own son, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Not sweep it under the rug, not just turn the other cheek, not just act like we weren't sinners, like it didn't happen. No, he crushed his own son to satisfy his wrath. That whoever, whoever would repent of their sinfulness and call upon the name of the Lord, be found in Christ, would not have to endure God's wrath towards sin on their own. Why? Because Jesus Christ endured it for you. In the place of that, you get forgiveness, you get adoption, you get loved. But there's wrath. If you're a believer today, I, I want us to walk out of here firmly grasping this picture so that we can rightly celebrate and understand the importance and the picture of what we're doing. To handle it with care, to appreciate it, to have a proper attitude about it. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, I pray that God would use this sermon to open your eyes to God's awesomeness, to His holiness, to the fact that He hates sin, the fact that He is against... He, he, he can be for you, but at this point in your life as an unbeliever, you're an enemy. And I'm not saying this to scare you, I'm saying this to be factual. If you die apart from Jesus Christ, wrath. Wrath. You will get the wrath of God due your sin. That's not a fun message to preach, but it's a biblical message. The only way, the only way that the wrath of God towards your sin, that is due your sin, by the way, that is warranted by your sin, the only way that wrath is averted is through believing in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ took the wrath. He satisfied the wrath of God. All of God's wrath due sin was poured out on Jesus Christ. Therefore, God can justly and rightly forgive a sinner and accept them into their presence. Why? Because they've been forgiven. Because the debt was dealt with. The wrath was dealt with. No matter what other God you believe in, no matter how many good works you've done, no matter how awesome a husband, mom, dad, whatever you've been, listen to me, if you die apart from belief, repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus Christ, it's wrath. Eternal wrath. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. The Bible is very vivid. And, and, and we live in a world, even in the church, that has a very skewed view of God, as I said, both of God and our sin. And thus, the idea of punishment and wrath towards our sin and really the fact of hell have really fallen out of style. And, and the source, the reason is because is we do not, number one, we do not understand God's awesomeness and we do not understand our sinfulness. Therefore, hell seems vastly out of place. It seems like an overreaction to sin. Why? It's because we don't understand, our, we don't understand the depth of our sin, the, grotesque, the grotesqueness of our sin, if that's a word. We don't understand God's hatred towards it. And, and again, the Lord, with regards to the Lord's Supper, we see the reality, we're, remi we're reminded of the reality that God's hatred towards sin, His wrath towards sin, fell upon Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when He had given thanks, Jesus, Paul is quoting Jesus. He's looking back to that upper room and He says, When Jesus had given thanks, He broke 
the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The, the key word for the Lord's Supper is remembering. There, there's lots of errant views out there regarding the Lord's Supper. There's, there's denominations that believe that in taking these elements, that somehow they miraculously, when you're taking them, they turn into the body and the blood of Jesus. There's others that believe that grace is imparted through this. Listen, this church believes what the Bible puts forth. We do this in memorial. We do this in honor to remember that our sins were forgiven because Jesus Christ was crushed. It's a picture. The bread is a picture. It's a remembrance of Jesus' body that was broken. The juice is a picture of Christ's blood that was poured out. Without, Hebrews 9 is very clear. I think it's verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins. We're remembering so, so with that, I want us to jump in and, and I want us to rightly appreciate, as I said, what we're doing here today. And, and I want to do it from a little different angle. I want to do it from a picture of, of God's wrath. God's wrath. And you'll see on your handout, in the Lord's Supper, we're remembering, the first point there, remembering God's wrath towards sin is justified. God is completely... Listen to me, God is completely just for punishing sin. Completely just. We, we live in a world where inside and outside the church we have, again, as I said, wrong views of God. And if we're honest, we have a tendency to downplay our sin, both its severity, both its offense to God, God's hate towards it. Punishment seems out of place. Punishment of God towards our sin seems like an overreaction. You hear questions like, did Christ really have to die? Is, is hell truly where non-believers end up? Is hell really that bad? How can a loving God send someone to hell? Listen to me, all of those are rooted in the fact that, number one, we do not understand the greatness of our God, and we do not understand the depth of our sin. Anyone who asks those questions has faltered in one of those two areas. They have no idea of the debt of their own sin, nor do they have any idea of the holiness and greatness of God. Complaining that, why would there only be one way to heaven? I've said it before, the miraculous, the miracle is that there's any way to heaven. That's the miracle. And, and again, all of those questions flow from the same source, a wrong view of God and His holiness and, and His subsequent hate towards sin. And you see it on your handout. God's hate and wrath towards sin flows from the very fact that He is holy. He's holy. He's perfect. He's completely pure. And, and they're tied together. They're, they're almost two sides of the same coin. Because God is perfectly holy, He must hate sin. And therefore, His wrath and His punishment of sin is completely justified. And if we, were to, if we were to take a poll today, if I was to say, hey, write down on a sheet of paper 
attributes, characteristics of our great God, I doubt very seriously that wrath would be one of the first things that come to our mind. If we're honest, if we're honest, we live in a world where in some ways we almost feel like we need to apologize for God's wrath. How could a holy God just go in and destroy the Canaanites in in Deuteronomy? How could he do that? Well, you don't understand. First of all, the Canaanites were some of the most grotesque sinners that they 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 were killing their own children. First of all, Canaan was a judgment of sin. Sin. God had every right to judge sin, never mind the fact that the land belonged to him. If we're not careful as Christians, that, that some, some, sometimes we look at wrath and God's wrath as almost a defect in God's character. There is no defect in God's character. He's perfect. It's almost like a, like a loved one who, who, who maybe just... Maybe socially they don't know how to act, and you're kind of embarrassed for him or something. We don't need to be embarrassed about God. We, we don't need to apologize for his perfections. And listen, when you look at the scriptures where God is taking the initiative to actually reveal himself without apology, you see a very different picture than the one oftentimes that we present. In fact, when, when we open up God's revelation of himself, in no way, shape, or form does ever, God, does ever God attempt to hide the fact of His wrath. God is, you see it on your handout, God is not ashamed of His wrath and His hate towards sin because it is warranted. It's warranted. It's due. It's justified because of our sin. Therefore, neither should you and neither should I. We should not be ashamed that God is a God that judges sin. The reality is, as you open up the Scriptures you'll find a very different picture. You'll find, what if I told you this, that, that Scripture references, if I said this, true or false, you, you know the answer now because I've, I've led you here, true or false, God references God's anger and fury and wrath more than His love and tenderness. You would want to answer false to that. The reality is that answer is very true. Wrath and fury and hate, hell, They're mentioned as much as any other, or if not more than any other characteristic. Listen, you see it on your handout. God's divine wrath towards sin is as much a part of God's perfection as every other attribute. It's a part of His perfection. This is not a blemish on His character. It's not a blemish on His resume. See, you and I, listen... I will be the first to tell you, as a father, I have been guilty of both of these. I have been guilty of overreacting to my children's sin and and disobedience. And I've also been guilty of underreacting. We we have a father in heaven that that will never be the case. He'll never overreact. He'll never underreact. And both of those reactions in me... Both of those reactions are rooted in in a misunderstanding of sin. And and my children, I I will tell you, I I can think of one specific instance where I said, I I, I don't want to embarrass them. Sometimes I've had to apologize because I've shared something with you about my children and not meaning to embarrass them, and it has embarrassed them, and I don't ever want to do that. But I can think of one particular instance, and I'm not going to share it, but... 
my daughter did something, and instead of spanking her, I laughed. Because it, it was funny. It really was funny. But I should have spanked her. And, and I was ashamed that I would. And I, it was like one of those things where I don't want to see her laughing. I don't want to see, let her see me laughing. But it was, it was just like, what? But again, it's sin in me. And, and, and again, the very, the, God must hate sin. You and I, if we're to wage war on sin in our lives, you and I must hate our sin. We must hate it. If we're going to wage war on it rightly, we've got to hate it. Not coddle it, not play with it, not try to justify it, not excuse it. We've got to hate it. And, and again, the definition that, that pictures, that I believe, that pictures and even defines the wrath of God best involves His holiness. And, and listen to this. God's, you see it on your handout. God's wrath and hate towards sin is His holiness stirred into action towards sin. It is holiness responding to sin. That's wrath. Holiness responding to our sin. All flows out of the fact that God is holy. And again, sin at its very core is rebellion, and God must deal with this rebellion. I was reminded even this week, we even think of wrath as a future thing. Listen to me, presently, right now, God is revealing His wrath against all ungodliness. You listen to Romans 1. Paul gives the gospel in verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Listen to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He, Paul lists a bunch of sins, and this is, verse 32 struck me this, this week as I thought about it, because this is, this is where we are as a people, this is where we are as a nation. And what struck me and reminded me was part of one of the sins that is mentioned that is warranting the wrath of God is disobedient to parents. My daughter was disobedient. You know what I did? I laughed. And listen to what it says in verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Listen, this is why wrath was coming. They not only do the same thing, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Is that not our culture? That's inside and outside the church. We, we watch sitcoms where they sin and they make a mockery of the Bible. And you know what we do? We laugh. Jokes, we laugh. Our, our children fool around with things of the world. You know what we do? We turn our other cheeks because we want them to be cool. We want them to be popular. We want them to fit in. We laugh. He says in 2.1, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who pass judgment, for that in which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. You know why the church has, has in many ways is losing its, its moral authority? is because we laugh. We laugh. Sin is rebellion. It's a rebellion against a holy God. 
And, and wrath and hate for sin is, is, is in a deep, intense anger. and in, It's an indignation over sin and, and, and the offense that it is to our God. The, the reality is, if you, in contrary to what we believe, if you were to look at, at, we won't look there for the sake of time, but Exodus 33, 18 through 34, 7 paints a picture, and you see it on your handout, that the wrath of God is not only seen as an attribute of God, but is seen as part of His glory. His glory. He, he tells Moses there in, in Exodus 34, 8, that I'm going to visit sin to the next generation. That's how holy I am. I'm going to visit it. He's not embarrassed that he hates sin. He's not embarrassed that, he, that, that his word stands to confront culture. He's not embarrassed by that. It, it's, his wrath is justified. It is linked to who he is as a glorious, awesome God. And you see this throughout the Bible. Go to Genesis 6-9. through 9. God destroyed the earth. Why? Because sin was rampant. Flooded the entire earth. Genesis 19, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Rampant sin. Deuteronomy 7, he destroyed the Canaanites for their rampant sin, wrath. Isaiah 13, there, there was a past wrath, there's currently wrath. Isaiah 13, there's going to be future wrath. And, and again, the beauty, a beautiful picture for, for us with regards to the Lord's Supper, you want to see the wrath of God. Listen to, listen to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 8 and verses 10 and 11. Listen, listen to this. This is talking about Christ and his crucifixion. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Listen to this. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, he, he, was, he was cut off. For the transgressions of my people to whom his stroke was due. Verses 10 and 11. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, talking about Christ, he will see his offspring and prolong his days in the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his land. As a result of the anguish of his soul. God's hatred towards sin was so, is so great that he crushed his own son. To, it required that in order forgiveness to be made. That's how offensive sin is. You say, well, you know what, Chris? Those are all Old Testament pictures. You know, the God of the New Testament. You know, Jesus, grace. You know, things changed when, when Jesus came. Secret ballot. Secret ballot as we do in our home. In our home, we'll, we'll vote on something. We'll say secret ballot. Look, listen to Jude 15. To execute judgment upon all. Why is he coming? To execute judgment upon all. To convict all the ungodly and all the ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's coming to execute judgment. 
You look at Romans 9, 22, it says, Behold, both the kindness and the severity of God. It talks about in his judgment of Israel. Both the kindness and the severity. You look at Ephesians 5, chapter 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You, you turn over to 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For the, uh, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that they have no need to say anything. For they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had with you and how you have turned to idols from the living God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. There, there is a, God has thrown out the proverbial life ring, if you will, to rescue us from the wrath that is due us. You could keep going. And, and again, but if you, want, if you want to ultimately see God's hate towards sin, listen to me, then look no farther than what we memorialize right here this morning, the cross. The cross is the ultimate picture of God's wrath do our sin. It's the cross. If, if Turn with me. You can turn to Matthew 26. We'll be there for just a moment. Matthew 26. Jesus is in the, the garden of Gethsemane. And, and there's something very significant here that you'll miss if you're not careful. Jesus is headed to the cross. He, like I said, he's in the garden in his, in his humanity, look at what he says in, um, in verse 39. You know, he goes to pray, they fall asleep, he comes back, they go to pray, they fall asleep. And look what he says, he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed. This is Jesus. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is in his, in his humanity. He, he asks, take this cup from me. And the question becomes, what's the cup? I, I want to show us what that cup is and what this cup pictures and memorializes. Listen, li, listen real quickly to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17. Isaiah 51, you can write it down, verse 17, for the sake of time. Rouse yourself and rouse yourself. Arise, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling you have drained from the dregs. Listen to Jeremiah 25, 15. He says, For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me, Take this cup of the wine of wrath, from my hand and cause all the nations whom I have sent to you to drink it. There, there is the cup in the Old Testament was a figure, was a picture for the suffering and the death under the wrath of God. The, the cup that Jesus in his humanity, in his humanity and, and in his deity, he was both totally, completely. Jesus knows I'm about to drink the cup that has the wrath of God in it for not only one person's sins. Think about this. Think about it. That cup would be overflowing if it was just for my sin. 
That cup would be overflowing if it was just for the sins of the people in this room. But Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for the, that contained the sins of the entire world from beginning to end that would ever be committed. God's hatred towards wrath bound up in that cup. The cup that Jesus asked to pass in his humanity is saying, it's the wrath of God. Jesus knew, I'm about to bear the weight and the wrath of God towards every sin that humanity has ever committed. Ever will commit. Go down to verse 46. He, 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 Jesus knew this is why he came and he says, get up. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Jesus knew, I'm about to be forsaken so that you can be forgiven. I mean, and think about that weight. Not just your sin individually, but for all sin of all time, ever, every sin that would ever be committed. Jesus Christ drank the cup of God's wrath so that God's creation who had sinned, who had ran, who had turned their back, could rightly be forgiven. Rightly forgiven. To make a way for God's enemies to be forgiven. Sinners such as you and I can be rightly forgiven of our sin. Why? Because Jesus bore the wrath of God due our sin. And that's the picture that we're reminded of in the Lord's Supper. That, that God's wrath towards sin was justified. Meaning it was warranted. It was not an overreaction. It was not an underreaction. It's part of his perfection, his hate towards sin. Think, think about that as you come up here in just a moment and take this cup. It, what you're saying is, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for taking the wrath that was due my sin. Don't just drink it and move on. It is a picture that your sin warranted wrath. And Jesus Christ took it for you. But, but what we're doing today not only is a reminder that Jesus' wrath is, that God's wrath towards our sin is justified. In the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that God's wrath towards sin is satisfied. It's satisfied. It goes way beyond just being warranted. It was satisfied. For those of us who believers, for those of us who are believers, hear me, for those of us who have acknowledged our sin, who have repented of our sin, who are looking to Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection alone, not Jesus Christ as one of many gods, not Jesus Christ as one of many ways, singularly, Jesus as Lord. For those... God's wrath has been satisfied. Why? Because he poured it out on Jesus Christ as your substitute. You see that on your handout. God fully punished sin and in doing so made a way for his wrath towards sin to be taken by a substitute, even his own son. God substituted his son in a place that you and I deserved. And listen to Ephesians chapter 2. It helps to paint this picture for us. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. Listen to this. This is who we are without Christ, before Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, all formerly lived 
in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, listen to this, children of what? Wrath. Even as the rest. Listen, again, in and of ourselves, listen to me. Apart from Christ, please hear me. You weren't good. You weren't kind of bad. You weren't a good person. You were a child of wrath. If you don't believe me, go to Romans 1, and he, I mean Romans 3, and he's very clear. There is none who are righteous. None. He goes on to say this, there are none who do good. We need to be careful because, listen to me, when we say that you were good, you know what we're doing? We're diminishing the debt that was paid. Christ didn't die for good people. He died for children who were destined for wrath. He died for sinners. He didn't die for moral people. He died for sinners, enemies, Romans 5, 8. Children of wrath. Romans 5, 9, Daniel quoted, I think, 5, 8 this morning, and it's 5, 9. He says, but God demonstrates, verse 8, his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. But, but, that's before Christ. But look at verse 4. This is in Christ, and I always love these places. These are awesome, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. Who saved us? God did it. Who gets the glory? God does. He made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. Listen, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God, God did this. God paid the price through His Son to satisfy His own wrath, to satisfy His wrath, to justify His wrath. We deserve wrath, listen to me, but yet in Christ, we get love and we get forgiveness instead because of faith in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul addresses this in verses 9 and 10. He says, for God has not destined us, talking about Christians, for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another with this. Our wrath that was due our sin has been dealt with by Christ. The payment due our sin was satisfied by Christ. We, we've said it many times, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. God's wrath fell on Christ. And it was satisfied. It's interesting, when you see in early on in John, in John 1.29, Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist says, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Guess what happened to a lamb in the Old Testament? They died. They were slaughtered. And their blood was a picture of the price of sin, the cost of sin. The, the, the nation, individuals in the nation, they would, take, they would take a ram and they would lay their hands on it and they would identify that this, this ram or this lamb represented them and their sin and they would, they would one ram they would send off into the, the scapegoat, they would send him off and another they'd slaughter. And day after day after day after day after day, year after year, slaughter after slaughter, the, the high price of sin. And, and God didn't just turn His back on our sin and look the other way. You see it on your hand now. God crucified His Son to satisfactorily pay the debt that was due mine and your sin. And, and Romans, Romans 3, I, I, there's tons. Romans 3, listen to Romans 3, 21. But now, again, the same thing. But now, he says, verse 20, Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation. That word propitiate, to to propitiate means to satisfactorily pay, to satisfy in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Why the cross? Because it allowed God to be holy and yet display His wrath towards sin. He could rightly forgive us because of the cross. You look at Romans 5, 9 through 12, 18 through 21. You look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Timothy. God, Jesus' death throughout the New Testament is pictured as, a, as satisfying God's wrath due sin for all those who look to Christ alone. It's interesting in chapters 1 through 7, Paul does that. In Romans 8, 1, it says, But now, but now, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. The second before you were a believer in Christ, you know what you were, you know what you got? You got condemnation. And it was warranted. God was justified in condemning you as a sinner. And yet, but now, but now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God can rightly forgive sin. Why? Because Jesus drank the cup that was full of God's wrath. Please hear that. Through Christ, through belief in Christ, through placing myself in Christ, we are no longer under the sentence of divine wrath because the debt was paid in full. And that's also what we celebrate today. The the only way to escape God's wrath for your sin is through, through the belief, total belief, faith in the death, burial, or resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is, there is zero way around it. If you die apart from faith in Jesus Christ, wrath. Revelation 6.12, 
I looked in the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And he goes on to talk about the wrath. Fall on and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come. Who is able to stand? Revelation 19, same thing. God made a way where there was no way, and that's what we celebrate this morning in the Lord's Supper. And it was at the cost of His own Son. And if you're here and you've been forgiven already of your sin, my question for you is this. Does your life reflect the gravity and the high cost of your sin payment? Does your life reflect that gratitude? Are you living to please the one, the master, the king who has paid your debt? Are you sharing this good news? You should not be ashamed. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of this good news. This is good news that your wrath can be averted. It's like a doctor walking into the room and saying, Look, the bad news is you have cancer. The good news is we can cure it. That's good news. The bad news is, is as sinners, you just, you, the world who are they're sinners apart from Christ deserves the wrath of God. The good news is this, there's a solution. There's a solution. And sharing that ought to be our duty, but it ought to be our joy. Celebrate, celebrate God's great grace today as we take this Lord's Supper. Celebrate the awesomeness. And real quickly, you see on your handout, the cup is empty. Hear that. Jesus drank it. He says on the cross, it is finished. He drank the cup. And here's what it means for us today. Think about this when, as you partake today in the Lord's Supper. We have hope because the cup is empty. God's wrath is satisfied. There's a future and a hope. As we saw in 1 Thessalonians, comfort each other with these words. We, we also have rest because the cup is empty. Our acceptance for God is not based on our performance. It's not based on what we do. It's based on belief in what Jesus Christ has done. Will out of that will flow a life? Absolutely it will. But our rest is in what Jesus has done. See there, we should be grateful because the cup is empty. We ought to be amazed. Over, over, the gratitude ought to be overflowing. Because God, Jesus took that took that cup and drank that cup. Lastly, we should proclaim to everyone that the cup is empty. Proclaim to everyone. Herald this good news. There is a fountain filled with blood. But there's only one source, and it was Jesus Christ. There, there is no forgiveness of sin apart from belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Applying the blood that He shed to our lives. When you drink and when you eat this morning, ponder these truths. Think about them. 